Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking part in this immersive listening experience. A meaningful existence is a moving target that no matter how close, will always be out of reach. We hope this message finds you with an outstretched hand. As we attempt to uncover complex truths, remember, life's toughest questions can be answered if we all just focus on one thing. Being good people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Good People, Episode 7. Today, I sat down with my good friend, Kat Edwards. She is a business owner, fitness and nutrition coach, and an endurance athlete. Today's episode, we talked about her most recent experience completing and running 100 miles. Before we begin, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider giving the show a rating. Enjoy the show. Kat, thank you for doing this. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here. Uh, let's just go. How are you doing? Like, how have things been going? Um, they've been going well. Definitely uh, an interesting week, kind of getting back into reality from the 100 mile, what, a little over a week ago, but overall going well. Cool. Uh, 100 miler is something that we'll definitely get into and honestly probably talk the majority of this podcast about. Uh, but let's start with, um, you recently started a business, Well-Kept. What is it and what is it that you do? Yeah. So I'm a coach. Well-Kept is my business. I coach endurance athletes through strength and nutrition. Um, so I work completely virtually coaching cyclists and runners through their full training program. And then I also work on the nutrition and lifestyle coaching end of things with non-endurance athletes, um, moms, dads, quote unquote, like normal people, as well as athletes. And so helping them dial in the nutrition in their lifestyle so that they can perform at their best, whether that's to play with their kids healthfully for the long haul or to perform for their sport. Cool. Us regular folk. <laughs> regular folk yeah um okay 100 milers uh 100 miler was this two weeks ago uh it'll be two weeks on saturday so about a week okay. and a half yeah right on um something i'm really excited about is you crewed me for my 100 miler attempt in september last year mm -hmm. and i was able to help and crew you uh for those listening crewing is just like when you go and help people you meet them at certain spots and you give them food and love and support um, I know a little bit about your mindset and belief system that goes into these sorts of things. And it's a very different perspective from mine. And I think the way that we each experience ultra marathons is very different, probably on the different ends of the spectrum of what you could experience in an ultra marathon. So I think this is a cool conversation to have because you've done it, I've done it, and we have a lot of takeaways from each one. And I'm just really interested to talk about now that you've had some time to reflect on it a bit. Um, obviously, there's probably still reflection to come in the mm -hmm. coming weeks and months and potentially years, but um, what those differences are. And I think it'll be a cool thing for people to listen to as well. Um, so let's just start with like, what is it about ultra marathoning that draws you specifically into it? I think that's multifaceted. I think it's easy to say like, oh, I really like to challenge myself. Um, and I feel like that's kind of a common answer when people enter to do hard things. But I'd say that's really fair. I, I love to challenge myself. I also absolutely love the discipline of training. Um, I could honestly, as much as I love being competitive, I could honestly train all the time and be super content because I just love that process so much. But at the same end of it, in an ultramarathon race, there's so much that you learn and you experience that you cannot replicate in any other setting. So I run and train for ultramarathons because I love the process of training. I love the process of learning and how many parallels come with that sport as well as life. Um, but then I also love the experience you get when you're racing and I want to take the sport as far as I can. So in that end of it, I do want to be a competitor in it, but I also love what the sport has taught me as an individual and as an athlete. Cool. And yeah, like for me, it's, uh, you want to be competitive with this and you have a lot of potential and excitement in regards to that. And I'm totally on the other end of like, I don't care how long it takes me. I'm going to get it done. And in fact, I really don't like doing the actual event, to be honest, like the stress of the week leading up to it, the feelings you get before you go, the feelings you get at the start line and actually going through it is just annoying and a chore. And I do like the training side of it. And I think in some ways I haven't really even worked out myself why I like to do them or why I have done them 
or if I'll continue to do them at whatever rate I do them at. But um, it's just fun and interesting to have conversations with because most of my friends who do them are similar and like, I just love running. And I don't, I wouldn't say I love running. I like really challenging myself. And I would say that the reason why I do it is because it's like a choice of, oh, I'm not very good at this thing. And it's always going to be hard no matter how good at it I get. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it to push myself in that way. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I mean, there's definitely days that I don't love running and I would be lying if I said I didn't love every second of my race. Like there's definitely points in my race where I was like, I don't enjoy any part of this right now. Why am I doing this? But then at the end, there always comes this point where you're so empowered by what you're able to do and you learn so much and just kind of blown away by what your body can do that it keeps you coming back for more. And similarly with training, the ripple effect it has on just the constant discipline of it and what you get from it outside of just the the fitness gains is what keeps me coming back to it while also wanting to get better at it, if that makes sense. Like I definitely don't love it all the time, <laughs> but I do love it and the process of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think if anybody said I'm doing this, I'm running a hundred miles for my health is you've <laughs> passed the limit of running being beneficial to your health. You're good. Do something else. Yeah. I would question their benef- their definition of health. That's for sure. Um, why did you do this hundred miler? Um, maybe not necessarily specifically the race, but what was the thing that led you up to doing a hundred miles? Yeah. The, the catalyst was I actually crewed um, I guess what got me into ultras in the first place was I had crewed a friend's hundred mile race. And at that point I was getting back into enjoying running again. Um, I had taken some good time off after racing competitively for 10 years because I got very burnt out and she invited me to come and crew for her. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And I was, I was pacing her in the middle of a night section and it started freezing rain and she was falling asleep running. Um, she was getting hypothermic and I was holding her up and all of the people around that were either stopping to check on us or just the community support in the middle of the night. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. First of all, she pushed herself to the absolute limit to get to this point. She had run 80 some miles at that point and to experience the community and what it was like to be in like watching somebody be in that pain cave was very, very cool. And I was like, wow, I want to, I want to try that. I want a piece of that. I want to test myself and push myself so far that I cannot go forward anymore. And I want to experience that. And so that's what brought me to the point of like, okay, I want to try this for me now. And, um, ended up signing up for my first 50 K two weeks before it started and just ran it. (laughs) And it was awesome. But the catalyst actually for this hundred mile race was I knew I always wanted to do one. I just didn't know when, and I'd actually signed up for a trail series that went through the, the full spring. And two weeks before the second race in the series, I sprained my ankle and I wasn't able to complete the race. And so I was actually quite disappointed because it rerouted my whole season that I had planned um, and I was like, well, shoot, what do I do next? Hopped on ultra sign up as one does when you're an injured runner. And I saw this race and I was like, yep, this is the one. Um, it's close. It's in my backyard. It looks like an awesome race that, um, people come back to year after year. This is the one that I'm going to do. And so it actually came sooner than I had planned. I hadn't planned to do hundred miles until this fall, but I was like, you know what? We're just going to give it my best shot and, and see what I can do in the moment. Cool. Uh, something you said there that I would like to point out is how awesome the community when you run ultra marathons are like, if you've done CrossFit, you know, a little bit of what this feels like, like the CrossFit community and embedding yourself in a gym. Um, I haven't seen or felt anything. I would say ultra marathon takes, takes that to the next level of like, truly, it doesn't matter if you just broke the course record or you barely made the cutoff. Like everybody wants you to just finish the race and it's a group of people that are like teched out European guys with like tall, long limbs and reflective jackets and long bearded cut off flannel, just like shotgunning beers running through the trails and the mountains. Like it's that array of people and they all just come together over this one thing. It's, it's a cool 
thing to be a part of an experience. Um, and we were both lucky that we've got to see it from like the runner side and also the um, uh, crew, crew side. side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you sign up for this hundred miler. Um, what I know there's probably a lot and we can maybe, maybe you have some of these things sort of systemized in your head and we can go into each one separately. What is one takeaway, maybe a couple takeaways that you've already had from your hundred mile experience? Yeah, I would say, I, I don't know if, I feel like every day I come to think about either what's going on in my life or what happened in the race and find so many parallels. It's hard to digest them all at once, if you will. But some things that I learned is that it's incredible to show up and do what you say you're going to do. And I, you and I had that conversation um, actually on the course while you were pacing me is so many people um, say they want to do things, but then don't act on them. And it's really surreal to be in the moment doing the thing that you said you were going to do. Um, and that's really powerful because it, it gives you this feeling once you complete that task that anything is really on the table. And people leave a lot on the table. I have left a lot on the table for myself in the past. And when you um, take you take a step and become vulnerable, put yourself in a position where you can fail in a really big way, in a public way, um, and you do it anyway, and whether you succeed or, you not, or not, if you truly believe and take the steps and the action to achieve that thing, it's it makes anything possible. And it sounds really cliche, but now it's like, okay, I can quite literally work towards anything that I want to work towards. And I will be able to do more than I ever believed I could do. Um, and while my race wasn't necessarily a successful performance in the way that I wanted it to be, it taught me a lot about grit and it taught me a lot about showing up. Um, it taught me what it looks like to, um, sit in the present moment with the discomfort that you're in and um, work through it, to problem solve through it, to <laughs> cry through it if you need to, but just keep moving forward. And so I feel like I can take those lessons and really apply them to the seasons of life that I have been in and will be in in the future. But also I can take that into future races and future training, as well as use that to help other people through um, taking their first step or continuing through those low points in their own journeys. And, uh, yeah, it's a really cool perspective that it's hard to achieve unless you put yourself in that position specifically. Yeah. And I would say, like you said, we had this conversation when we, when I was pacing you. Um, and I think that maybe, um, a practical way to, to articulate it. I, I, I just think when we talk about this stuff, it can sound like you say cliche and, mm -hmm. Um, I hate listening to people talk like you and I are talking. I'm like, yeah, so bad. <laughs> so annoying, you know? Um, and I know we've talked about that before too, but um, my point with all this is, is I, I, for example, would consider myself a, I'm an inherently lazy person. I want to do the least amount of work. I want to do it as efficiently as possible. Like when I did school, it was, this is so annoying. Why are we doing this? I'm going to figure out how to get good grades with as little effort as possible so I can focus on other things. I, I do that with everything. I try to do like the least amount of leg work as I can. And the reason why I think I like ultra marathoning in certain ways is because there's no way that I can do that when I'm preparing for an ultra marathon. You can't not prepare and run and train for it. Mm -hmm. And so um, sort of to that point of like it developing grittiness and toughness when I said how much I don't like the actual event, it's for that reason. Because in my head, I'm like, oh my God, like there's no way that I'm going to be able to do anything other than actually run the distance that is in front of me. And so, um, and even in those moments, I can, I can realize that it's like this weird thing that's happening where I'm so exhausted and tired that I'm thinking, okay, how can I get myself out of this? And then the only solution is to continue forward and to keep going. And that feeling is not a great feeling. It's like, I have 40 miles left. I barely mm -hmm. even got over the halfway point. That, that feeling sucks in the moment. And then when you're through it, you're like, ah, no, no big deal. It was all fine. 
Like I could do that again. It'd be fine. Um, yes. <laughs> I and so like, I just, I think that's a, that's a, a good way to articulate that when you say it's developing this grittiness and this toughness, it's still not this glamorous, extravagant version of it. It sucks really, really bad. Yeah. And I would say that's something that I think I was actually thinking about this on my run this morning is so much of that uh, gritty mindset, the building mental fortitude, all of those like, trigger words that get thrown around on social media, they still encompass this level of like um, glamorous sexiness to that process. And in reality, it's really not sexy at all. Like the grittiest part of the race for me was in the middle of the night, like Mal, like my nutrition had plummeted. I had no energy. I couldn't get food down. Um, I couldn't move more than two miles an hour. And sitting with the reality that I was on a ridge line for five miles on rocks that I could barely get through, and I still had 30 miles left to go, um, it gave me this deep hopelessness in the fact that this was truly going to take forever and it was going to take everything from me. Um, because my feet were already in a bad spot mentally, I was just physically drained, um, and mentally drained. And I feel like that, that grittiness, whether that's in ultra marathon or not, it comes from those moments where your back is up against the wall. You have no other options, but you have to keep going anyway. And it is not fun in the moment. If you are having the worst time ever, it probably means you're in that situation where you actually have to use grit. Otherwise, like... I don't know what else it would be called other than just sticking with it, but those moments are terrible. <laughs> yeah. And like, just to carry that skill to like an actual real life, I didn't mean for this to happen situation that is happening to you. Like we chose to run a hundred miles ourselves. Right. And this chosen suffering is a means to learn some of the skills that hopefully we will be good at applying when something like that happens in the real world. And so, for example, your back's up against the wall moment. Maybe, maybe you, your business is, you're struggling with your business, right? And you don't know if something's going to be successful one day or the next. And that's a real life backs up against the moment that actually has some stake to it because mm -hmm. you can't just say, Hey crew, pull me out of this race. I'm not going to finish this one. We'll come back next year and try it again. Right. And so, you can hope that, um, you know, when stuff like that happens to you and you're in the real world, if you have this in the real world, you have the perspective to apply some of the things that we've learned through these challenging things in the moment. I'm very fortunate that I don't really think that I've had to apply some of these things to real world to any major degree. Um, and I guess I'm curious if like, what are your thoughts on that? And if, if you feel like is doing this chosen suffering skill building thing enough to prepare us for stuff like that? The real stuff. Yeah, I think, I think they do in some respects and other respects they don't. I feel like I definitely use some of the skills and the fortitude that I had to develop through this very hard season of launching and building my own business. And I was able to tap into some of that to actually get through my race. And then I can use some of the things that I learned in my race to continue to get through the seasons that I'm in. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to um, not necessarily direct skills, but more the character required to get the skills and then also the um, the persistence to get through those seasons. So it's more of a... Of a character building, which then that character is, becomes part of you, which helps with whatever you get yourself into, whether that's a tough conversation with a co coworker or the tough seasons of building a business where your back is up against the wall and there's not a whole lot of security. You don't know what's lying ahead of you. You don't know how long it's going to take. Um, you don't know if you're going to absolutely publicly fail in front of all of your family and friends, or if maybe one day you'll, you'll get to a point where it becomes a little bit more safe and secure. Um, so those things kind of emulate what you experience in a race. And I would say, especially when you hit like mile 80, where like, wow, you've covered all of this ground and yet you have so far to go. Um, the dealing with those feelings and those emotions and learning how to just step 
keep putting one foot in front of the other to get to the finish line and grit through that also helps me get through the points um, in my life where business is hard and finances are hard, or I'm working on a task that is above my skill level. Um, I know that if I continue just put, trying to get one step at a time, one step at a time, it's okay if it's not moving as fast as I want it to go, but the persistence and continuing to take another step will get me somewhere. Even if it, my business still doesn't work out in the end, it still has taught me how to persist through something, which will then carry on to whatever the next opportunity is. So yes, I think there's carryover in both. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with more character with how you deal with hard things in general than necessarily direct carryover of, of skills, if you will. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess I've never really thought about it that way, but like a, that's a good way to put it of, I know that I've done things that I never thought I could do before. And three years ago, if you told me that I was going to try to sit on a podcast and have conversations like this, I would have been like, number one, I don't think that I would be comfortable enough to talk in general. And number two, like, what do I have to say to people? And so it's almost like this resume building thing of, you know what? I think I can do things that are challenging or, mm -hmm. um, you know what? I think I can push myself outside of my, in my case, it's like, I don't want, the last thing I want to do is run a hundred miles because there's only one way to do it and you can't hack your way through it. And so, you know what, I can do stuff like that every once in a while. Like I'm a little bit more capable of these things than I thought. Um, have you given any thought to, so for me, my hundred miler is broken down in almost like three acts. I think I've told you this before. Yeah. Um, it's, literally almost to the mile of each 50k or sorry each one uh 50k rather so like 33 to 34 miles um there's a beginning that happened so fast for me and i i remember leaving the 35 mile aid station at like two in the morning telling you guys like wow i'm really surprised at how good i i feel right now and immediately upon leaving we started up this like four mile insane climb that just probably took everything out of me for the rest of the race. There was this grueling middle section of like 33 to 65, but it really wasn't that bad. And then 65 pretty much to the end was probably the worst I've ever felt in my life. Um, and I'm curious if like there's anything in, in your race that kind of stands out or if there's a story that you're telling yourself about that experience. Yeah, I would definitely say mine's kind of similar. I would say the first 50K is absolutely a blur. I have a couple of memories on the first ridge line. I had issues with my shoes right off the bat. Um, I think they were mislabeled in manufacturing. They're the same shoes I've used and trained in for months, but in same size, everything. And But for some reason, whenever I was on that ridge line, my feet were sliding all over the place. And I immediately was concerned about hot spots because um, I wouldn't see you all until mile 12. Um, got to mile 12, changed my shoes from that point until when I saw you at the 50 K I have very little recollection. I think I was just an autopilot moving. I do remember having a hard time eating a lot, but, um, that was pretty much like through the first 50 K not a whole lot going on. Um, and then the next, I think major middle chapter would be, um, whenever I left you all at, uh, mile, 38 or 40, I believe, um, and headed out for a ridgeline and got caught in a storm on that ridgeline. And I think that is probably one of the biggest exclamation points of my race because of the fear that I experienced as well as how I surprised myself and how I handled that fear um, and was able to move forward despite how I felt in my head. Um, and then came and was able to pick up you. And I think the next part of um, the race is a long, long 40 miles, I would say, and just arduous and slow terrain in which I thought the race would never end. It was just slow moving. I struggled a lot with foot pain, um, struggled with like being able to eat food for a long time. And that lasted pretty much from when I picked up you at 54 until mile 87. And then at mile 87, I just got to the point of acceptance and um, 
had this amazing amount of pancakes that really turned my mood around. And I was able to um, kind of accept where I was at and move through the last 13 miles to, to the finish line. So I'd say not, not clean 50 Ks, but more of um, experiential of like how I was feeling highs versus neutrals and lows through, through the course. Cool. Let's go back to the middle part where it was raining and you literally just said, I got caught in a storm and it was like really hard. I want people to understand what this was. We got, uh, I don't remember what time of day, but we, we pulled in to the aid station probably like three hours before you got there. And the skies were kind of, clouds were rolling in. It was getting a little, we knew the rain was in the forecast, but we were like, oh, we'll see what happens. And so I was reading, right? And we had, you probably couldn't contrast the two experiences differently. The rain started coming down and the sound on the roof of my truck, I fell asleep instantly. I took a nap through this. like It was like a natural noise machine for me. But for you, how many miles was it? What was the weather? Like Mm -hmm. really how bad was that? Yeah, it was a a 16-mile section in which I wasn't able to see you all. Um, I left you, I believe, at 36 or 38 mileage-wise, and it had been really hot, clear skies. I had been carrying my raincoat, my buff, and extra socks in a Ziploc bag in my pack the whole day, expecting it to rain at some point. But it was getting so hot. I was like, I want to shed weight. This is a really long section. I want to have extra space for water. It's supposed to be um, a long ridge line in the heat of the day, and there's not a cloud in the sky right now, so I'm going to shed some weight. I'm going to... um, add extra water. I'm going to knock this out. So I left you all. Um, wouldn't see you again for another 16 miles. I headed out onto a short, um, dirt road climb up to the aid station, which was then marked to the middle of the climb, which would then lead to the ridgeline. As I was getting up to the aid station, it started dumping the, from out of nowhere, all of these dark clouds came in and it was absolutely pouring rain. And I was like, shoot, of course I just left my raincoat and all of my gear that I had planned for, for this moment with my crew. Um, and I got to the aid, um, and I'd been by myself most of the course at this point. And there was a few guys lingering around and I immediately got a little bit nervous. Cause I was like, the last thing I want is to be on a nine mile section of Ridge line with no layers in a rainstorm that could get really gnarly. Um, and I don't want to get hyperthermic and wet up there. And so I waited there a little longer than I wanted to for one of the guys to leave. So I'd at least have somebody near me on the ridgeline. Um, and I hiked behind him up to the, um, to the ridge. There's a little bit more of a climb to go. And it was absolutely downpouring at this point. Um, I was soaked through and still very concerned about it. The temperature dropping at some point, um, the, the guy I was following at one point, like stepped to the side to like get food or eat or something. And I just kept going and I was on the ridge line at this point. It started thundering overhead. Um, and the wind was blowing was pretty, pretty hard. I'll even jump in. It was pretty insane. Like yeah. the, I woke up to like thunderbolts and, or thunder cracks and lightning bolts and like rain feeling like it was shattering the roof of my truck. Like it was downpour was is probably an understatement it was like i would say a typical flash flood style storm if you will like came on suddenly and when it came it just emptied everything all at once and the ridge line was super rocky and muddy um and i remember just feeling very afraid and and also having this interesting out of body experience where i knew what was happening and i could tangibly feel what was happening around me but my brain couldn't quite catch up that that was my actual reality <laughs> because it was causing that much like discomfort because i was worried one with the thunder i was like is it going to start hailing is the temperature going to plummet and i'm going to be caught up here because the terrain was not fast moving and it was a 9 mile section between that and the next aid um so I distinctly remember being very fearful, but I know because of how I handle other fear outside of ultra marathon is when I am fearful, I pray. And so I said a prayer and um, was able to just kind of recollect myself. And I also took the time to acknowledge this, hey, I know this is scenario is not ideal. It's not what I wanted, but these are the things that are going well. And I decided that I would 
pick up the pace and burn some matches to get off the ridge line. So I was grateful I was able to move quickly. Um, I was grateful that it didn't get colder. Um, and I was grateful that the course was well marked. So even though it was downpouring, I couldn't see too much because the the top of the mountain kind of enveloped itself into a cloud. Um, I was able to move pr- fairly quickly through the terrain given given this the situation. I only fell a few times trying to get off the ridge because of the mudslides. But I think that was a very big exclamation point for this race for me because one of my biggest fears going in was um, being caught in elements that I could not control on course and being a far away from crew or from aid. And given that that's how I mentally wanted to handle it, that I could actually handle it in reality that way whenever um, the pressure was on taught me a lot that I can actually handle those hard, harder um, situations for courses to come, for points in life to come. And I don't think I would have handled it that way had I not been through a lot of hard and fearful situations in my like actual life prior to this, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I will say too, I think some of the folks that were rolling in behind you, we heard some like crew chatter throughout the rest of the race. That section knocked a bunch of people out because of hypothermia. Like you got through that like two or three hours before it got dark. But I think the people that were having to traverse that ridge in the dark were hypothermic. And yeah. I know a lot of people. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than running when you're cold or sorry, wet much less cold, much less wet, cold in at night. So yeah, everything yeah. in that well, I personally don't like wet, cold in nighttime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody likes that. I don't know. There might be some weirdo out there. There's some, some ultra, ultra racers for sure that, um, have some interesting tastes and in elements. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, my race was pretty much picture perfect. I had like three or four hours of the middle of the second day where it was pretty hot, but I had beautiful weather. I didn't really deal with anything like that. And I don't know how I would have responded had I've, I've always been fortunate with good weather when I've done my runs. And so I don't know what that would be like for me. Normally when it comes to stuff like that, uh, it's not that I'm tougher than anybody. I just think that I have a never say die roll with the waves attitude where I'm just kind of like, ah, whatever, you know, it'll be all right. So yeah. mindset to everything in life and I, I would assume that that wouldn't be different then. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You, you don't know until you actually go through stuff like that. No, you don't. And I've always kind of questioned how I would handle situations like that because I am a somewhat anxious and worrisome person in the sense that I fear what I don't know and what I don't have control over. And it was very like I keep saying punctuated because that was one of those situations where I didn't know how I would handle it when push came to shove. Um, and yeah, it taught me that I can move through those situations, even if I am going into them very anxious and worried. (laughs) Yeah. Um, a a word you used, uh, whenever we were going over like the synopsis of your race was you got to it, a a point of acceptance. Uh, this is, I think something that many people experience when they do a hundred miles or any sort of big endurance event, something that I experienced during mine, it was really interesting to witness you do a hundred miles because I could see all of the stuff that was happening to you. And I felt among the crew, I'm not saying that I was more advantageous to you than the other members of the crew, but I knew that I was the only one there that knew exactly how you felt in those moments. And, you know, Jason does long distance biking, but like I saw picture by picture, literally the same thing that I went through happened to you in the same order. It was kind of weird. Like I was, I was like, Oh, okay. This is objectively from the outside. It's not as bad as how it feels. And I knew that the whole time. And for me, I got to that acceptance point around mile 80. My toughest part of my race was from mile 65 to mile 80. And to just gloss over that pretty quickly, at mile 65, I came into the aid station and I said out loud to uh, the parents of the guy that was running the whole thing with me, I was like, I found a new low. Kind of joking. You know, I was trying to kind of make fun of myself at the moment. But uh, Sam, the guy I was running with, his dad said, well, we'll, we'll try to pull you out of it. But that was honest. Like I've never felt as bad as I felt coming into mile 65. And it got worse for me 
mm-hmm. after that point. Um, it was starting to get hot. I sat down and I was sitting among what I would describe as a infirmary. Like there was people with their feet up groaning, like <laughs> blisters and bloody toenails. And it was disgusting. I didn't have as much of that stuff going on, but I just remember being there mentally like, wow, this is not a very pleasant place to be right now. Uh, I, I changed my clothes. I got some food. I was taking shots of honey to try to get some uh, nutrition in and we head back out and I remember limping away and I, it was the first time that I had realized that my ankle was very, very swollen. And it's kind of one of those things that once you get started again, the pain, it's still there, but it, it goes away. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but it was just like this monotonous section through the middle of the day when it started to get really hot. Um, <clears throat> and we pulled in to mile, I, I'm sorry, I said mile 80 before. The It led up to about mile 88 is when the, the challenge really ended for me. We pulled into the mile 88 station. And I remember feeling okay, but I, it was starting to get dark and I knew it was going to get tough. And I knew that the section that we had ahead was the hardest part of the race that I had left over. There was these four miles of long winding trails. There was no switchbacks except for one. And the one switchback was right at the very top of the mountain uh, when I would know that we were going to kind of start our descent down towards the other side, towards the mile 88 aid station. And I remember just sort of grinding through this. And honestly, mile 80, 80 to 84 till that switchback felt about as long to me as the first 33 miles of the race. Like it was so grueling and long and intense. And when we finally hit the switchback, I got up to the top and Jason, um, he, he actually like turned around and saw me and I was just kind of like waving in circles, dizzy. I knew I was out of it. And I spent the mile 84 to 88 aid station in and out of this literally sleep running And it took us an hour and a half, but I remember probably five minutes of that section and not like, oh, it happened so fast. Like I literally was asleep. I I wasn't conscious for the majority of it. There was times when I would wake up and Sam behind me would be like, Joel, like the trail goes this way. And I would like jolt awake inches from the side of the mountain. Like, oh, that could have been bad and turning and sort of regaining step. And I remember like, and I bet Jason could recount this when I came rolling down the last hill into the 88 aid station. He was like, we're there. And I was like, no, we're not dude. Like we literally are halfway. And he was like, no, like we're here. And it kind of clicked in my head of, Oh, like what just happened? I've just been sleep running. And I remember sitting down, you guys let me sleep for like five minutes in a lawn chair. And I woke up and I just felt this tranquil peace of like, I'm in so much pain right now. There's nothing that I can do. This is going to be terrible, but I felt at that point like I was going to finish. That was the first time I was like, I got it in the bag. That's good. Um, There's a point in the race where acceptance happens. And I think even for people, it probably happens at the finish line, you know, like it could. Mm -hmm. But for you, you said it was like mile 80. Is that correct? Uh, Mile 87. 87. So exactly where it was for me, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that moment like? Where were you? Take us through that. Yeah. So, um, like I'd mentioned earlier, I struggled pretty much from mile, (laughs) mile five with hot spots on my feet, which then evolved into really bad blisters, um, which then worsened through the rainstorm. Pardon? Your feet look disgusting at the end of the race, by the way. Yeah, they weren't great. (laughs) The rainstorm made that way worse, especially because I had to burn matches and run quickly through uh, technical terrain. So coming out of that, I then had soaked, soggy blisters in feet. Um, So basically from the mile 54 on, I couldn't really run too much because it was too painful. Um, And so like I mentioned earlier, just it was arduous and slow moving. And that was very, um, very hard for me to to swallow how slowly we were going. And because of how rocky the train was, it continued to eat up my feet. Every uneven step was just like my feet were getting sliced open over and over and over and over again. Um, And it wasn't even as though my body was falling apart because there was no climb that burned my legs out. There was no point at which I didn't feel like my muscles could carry me anymore. It was quite literally just the pain in my feet that was preventing me from moving forward quicker. And so, um, I went through very long sections. It was 
just it felt hopeless. Um, and then eventually the, the sun rose and was able to meet you all again, I think at mile 78 or something like that. Got some breakfast, went back out on the trail, um, continued to climb and descend more rocky sections. And I distinctly remember this long four mile descent um, before heading into the mile 87 aid station where I just like kept checking my watch and noticing and feeling like at least half a mile had passed, at least a mile had passed. And it would be like 0.2, 0.1. And I was so frustrated because I felt like I was almost trapped in my own body where my physical body felt like I could run. And sometimes um, a runner would pass me running up and I just felt like I should be able to run right now, but I couldn't because the descents were so painful on my feet. Um, I almost was grateful for any sort of climb because the, the constant descending rubbed my foot to the end of my shoe where every step just felt like my foot was getting sliced open over and over again. And I just felt the weight of having over 20 miles or, or almost 20 miles still to go calculating in my mind, how long that was actually going to take. And then, um, just feeling the pain that I was in and I couldn't, couldn't think of another way or find another way to express it other than I just big broke down into tears. And I cried for two hours running downhill into the um, mile 87 aid station. And Jason was with me and he didn't really say much. I don't think he knew how to help. And I think he had a hard time um, not being able to help or to solve what I was going through. But I needed that moment to emotionally release all that I was feeling, the feeling of being trapped and not able to run, the feeling of being in pain, the feeling of having so far left to go. Um, and came into mile 87, just feeling kind of defeated. Um, but I saw you all, which always lifted my spirits. I was able to get some food in for the first time in a while and set back out. And I had a conversation with myself where I was like, I know I'm tired, but there's two ways this race is going to finish. Um, I race it slowly and I'm in pain longer, or I accept that I'm going to be in pain and move faster and I'm going to be in more pain, but get done faster. So I just came to the, to the acceptance of like, this is my reality. And at the end of the day, I want to be proud of how I finish this. Um, and so I just let it be and try to disregard the way that my feet felt and just focus on moving forward um, and focused on having conversation with Jason or looking around me or soaking in the magnitude of what I was doing so that I couldn't forget a week, a month, a year from that moment of what I learned. And no one can take away the experience of your first hundred miler. And so I was trying to then accept where I was and practice what you had told me on the course of just being in the mile that I was in being present and, um, just kind of accepting where I was at. So basically the last 13 miles, I smiled, I moved faster <laughs> and I was able to, to get it done without, um, the, the mental low point that I had been in for the last 30 some miles. Cool. And there's no real way to describe what that's like other than, you know, going through it, not necessarily running a hundred miles, but just like having a, being so low that you literally can only just accept where you're at is very cool after it's happened. Yes. And like the thing with a hundred miles is like you do it and then the next day you're in a positive headspace. In the real world, this feeling of rock bottom probably goes on for a lot longer than mm -hmm. 12 hours, right? And so it's very, again, fortunate of us to be able to say things like that. But that's something that is a, a crucial part to having good things come from bad situations. It's having hindsight, right? Mm -hmm. And so a good lesson there is no matter how long it takes, no matter how low you are, no matter how low you get, if long, as long as you keep going, whether or not you, you reach the very pinnacle of what you're trying to accomplish or you, or you're just well up the hill, having hindsight and being able to reflect on the low moment is a very cool feeling to have. And I would say that that's probably my favorite part of the race is being able to look back and like, 
see where along I just accepted the fact that I was going through what I was going through. And then I just kept going. Mm-hmm. Your mindset is like, it, it seems is I can do this. My mindset was like, ah, whatever, it'll be done eventually. But it both are the same. The moment of acceptance was a cool thing for me. Yeah. And I, I definitely, I think the, the hindsight that you learn from experiences like that can give you the tools to have present moment awareness um, in the future, whether that's something in your life or in another race, because you've gone through something similar, you knew how you knew how you dealt with it, and then you can take that experience and apply it in present moment. Because hindsight's always twenty twenty, but what if we can apply hindsight in the present? That's even better, um, a better skill to have. And that's actually something that I've been working on with a couple of my clients who've gone through some very long, low life points, and their ability to pull back and have the perspective on the moment that they're in and focus on gratitude and awareness. And they've been able to pull themselves out of situations that would have previously put them back into a low. And that is an invaluable skill that anyone can practice, whether you're running a hundred miles or um, go to the gym or don't work out at all. But learning from your experiences is the best possible thing that you can do. Otherwise it's just a, a useless pain point, if you will. Yeah. If you don't like the thing that is happening to you because of the things that you're doing, then start, start doing something else and then mm-hmm. use those little micro interactions of the positive stuff that happens as like reinforcement to continue to do those things. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I think with ultra marathoning, there's things that build you up and then there's things that tear us down. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that we can look at it and the building up stuff is like in the moment I'm reflecting on this is going to make me a more confident and capable individual the tearing down is like, I've never felt worse in my life. Um, there's, it doesn't seem at least to me, there's a lot of middle ground there as far as how these experiences go down. It's like, this made me more confident. This made me less confident. I personally look back at experiences and value the things that tear me down way, way more. Right. And it's not even in like a trying to be a motivational they make me stronger way. It's like, I really appreciate when I run a hundred miles that I leave that experience feeling like I'm more like everybody else, that I'm not special, that I, I could have just as easily something gotten hypothermic or something happened where I flunked out. Like that doesn't make me a special individual for finishing. I'm mm-hmm. curious if that's something you've given any thought to, if you sort of agree with that sentiment. Um, and if so, uh, which one of those things do you feel like is where we get the value from from the runs? Yeah, I would agree with you from the standpoint of I learned more from what tore me down. Simply put, um, I have always been a very confident person for, for as long as I can remember. And I almost found too much comfort in my self-confidence that it created a level of complacency where I didn't actually sh- – put myself in positions where I was set up to fail or could fail in a very public way. And so by actually putting myself in a place where my self-confidence wasn't very high, where I actually was in a position um, where I didn't have all the answers and I didn't know how things were going to go, I learned more from that and didn't, and honestly, like I didn't need more self-confidence, if you will. It was more like, I want to actually test the value behind the confidence that I do carry. Like, is that real or is that just like an ego? <laughs> um, yeah. and, I, and I have put Ben in a lot of situations this year that tested my self-confidence and that's a very real lesson that I needed to learn. I was like, I don't, I didn't need more of it. I needed to actually be humbled and practice um, and be tested and put on the battlefield, say, Hey, how could you actually handle these things and get beat down and try to get back up? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like that makes a lot of sense. You saying that from my perspective, I'm somebody who's never really had a lot of confidence uh, growing up, especially. And I probably, people say I shouldn't be as self-deprecating as I am about certain things. If you ask me, I don't think that I genuinely say, like when I say a negative thing about myself, when I do something, I'm like, oh, you stupid idiot. Like, don't do that. 
I don't actually mean that about myself. It's more to be funny and to, you know, kind of have this happy go lucky attitude about the things that I do. But Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why I value the, I want to say it, when I do stuff like this, it just reminds me of my place in the world. It doesn't, I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I'm not more capable necessarily because of anything inherent. Like I've literally seen it with my eyes that anybody can run a hundred miles. And I really do believe that if you Mm -hmm. properly train for it. Um, And so for me, it's just, it's almost not like a, oh, this makes me more confident. It's a, I'm realizing, oh, these people who I think are like big and bad are not like, they're just the same like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely um, brings these lofty ideas down to earth, if that makes sense, or or like uh, these like lofty concepts or the things that we um, quote unquote idolize in society for their great feats of like physical capability or whatever. And it brings it down to like, okay, this is very real. And I think that's kind of what I'm... um, a, a different perspective on the same idea that I had of um, you genuinely can do anything that you take action on and put intention and time into, because I feel like people leave stuff on the table of what they're capable of. And this is one of those things where it's like, okay, you can actually chase something. And when you do, you are capable of so much more. And it's not because that thing is so difficult and hard. You just actually have to do it. If that makes sense. If that makes sense. You got to go through it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's not impossible. You just have to go for it. Yeah. Uh, What's next for you? What do you hope you accomplish? I know you said like being competitive. I know about that uh, a little bit about that personally, but what do you hope to accomplish maybe a little bit more specifically, is there races that you want to do? Are there times that you want to be things like that? Yeah. So I've taken, taken some time to mull over what's next. And I know I left a lot on the table, I think for this race that I want to, um, to go for. And, and I say that I, I left physical space on the table in terms of my capabilities and I want to test what those are. So while my mental fortitude was tested, I don't think my physical body was tested because I had to move so slowly because of my feet. Um, and so that kind of left a, a unfinished flavor in my mouth, if you will. Like, I don't feel like, like, I feel like I have room to grow there. Um, and so next up, I have a race in Switzerland. It's called the Wild Strubel 110. And it's a 70 mile race through the Swiss Alps. That's in September. And then I also have been mulling over this goal to run the Blue Ridge Parkway in five days. I believe the segment that I'm looking at is around 380 miles. And so breaking it up into 70 to 80 mile days, I would love to do a stage format, like long distance effort and and see what I can do over a long period of time. Um, those are some things that are immediately on the table. Um not fully set in stone for the rest of the year, but I kind of want to do some exploration in terms of, okay, how far can I run? What can my body physically do? Um, how far can I mentally go and how competitive can I be in, in the races that I do sign up for? Cool. That's insane. I would just like to say quickly to the people listening, how different you and I are. You ran 15 miles a week after your hundred miler. I've ran a hundred miles seven months ago and I think I've run 15 miles in total since And 10 of them, <laughs> 10 of them were with you during your hundred miler. Yeah, I was not going to lie. I woke up the next morning and I wasn't sore and I was kind of disappointed because it left this feeling of like, I should have done more. Should I just have sucked up the pain more and gone faster? Could I have done more in this? And it left this flavor of doubt that I haven't been able to get rid of. Yeah. And the answer to that is no. Like when you do stuff like that, there are certain psychological barriers and physical barriers that we are met with that are oftentimes not our limiting factor. I was literally, Mm -hmm. I was training a 10 year old boy today, teaching him how to deadlift. And he was telling me that the weight wasn't that heavy, but he was starting to have some technical errors with how he was lifting. And I was like, Hey dude, just so you know, like for the first couple of times we do this and maybe even years you do this, this might not even feel heavy, but 
your technique is failing in this area and this area. And so we need to address that first. And so mm. similarly, you know, your limiting factor was the way your feet felt. I know exactly how you feel sort of, I didn't have blisters or wet feet nearly as bad, but like my feet felt like lead bricks, just slapping the ground and they were in so much pain. And I was definitely extremely sore muscularly too. But the biggest thing that I faced was my feet, my ankle and my knee pain or swelling essentially that was so bad. And so like the reason why you weren't as sore is because you train your body so hard. And um, what that does for you is it allows you to have this quick turnover. And so you pushed yourself as hard as you could on race day. I, I witnessed that. And I would say that any doubt you feel with yourself is unwarranted because what you have allowed yourself to do is recover, get back to the thing you like doing, which is training and continue to knock things like this out. And over time, this one limiting thing is going to develop and the attributes involved with making sure that that doesn't happen will improve and it won't be as much of a limiting factor for you going forward. That's fair. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. I also yeah. like the limiting factor thing because I think that also teaches me points where I can improve for the future. And I've got a few top of mind. So that's a very, very wise point. Thank you. I'm a wise guy. No, <laughs> you are a wise guy. Um, what to you is a good person? Um, I think a good person is twofold. And there is actually one word that I've been sitting with for a while now that I came across in a study and it's a Hebrew word called hesed. And it is used in the Old Testament of the Bible a few times, but essentially there's no English translation, but a lot of the English translations word is love. Um, but this word specifically um, means a, a deep and meaningful um, care, a deep care for somebody that is shown through um, compassion, generosity, forgiveness. Um, and it is a deep character trait that is shown to another human being um, where you deeply care for their well-being. So to me, a good person um, strives and seeks to show his said to the people around them um, while simultaneously working on their own character and personal development so that they can continue to show that to the people and those around them better. And uh, we had a conversation briefly about this on the trail as well, is that to be a better and good person requires continual commitment to becoming a better person yourself. Um, and I think a lot of people are very fixated on their personal journey, which I think is really important. But the next step from there is taking your own personal growth and impacting the world around you with your growth. Otherwise, you're just kind of keeping it to yourself. And I don't always think that there's as much fulfillment and impact when you keep it to you. But when you spread it, it becomes so impactful to the world around you. So whenever you can show generosity and kindness and care and compassion and a genuine love and care for the well-being of those around you and the world around you, um, only good things can come of that. And I think that all of the people that I have been greatly impacted in my life have shown those characteristics to me. Cool. That was a great answer. Did you prepare Thank that answer? Um, I have thought about this every time <laughs> I've listened to the good people podcast on so many runs. And whenever it finished, I always sat with myself. It's like, what would my answer be if Joel ever asked me this question? So has it been prepared over many long runs? Yes. <laughs> Cool. That's actually an interesting thing that I never thought. Literally the origin of that was I just really love the name good people. Like it's mm -hmm. very simple. I just love that for a show. And so I was pretty adamant. Me and came and worked on sort of developing this together. And the way we started asking this was on the first episode, he's like holding up this piece of paper that I can barely read his handwriting. That's like, ask him what a good person is. And I was like, <laughs> Winting to read it. And I, I asked the question and then afterwards he was like, dude, we should ask this to everybody. I never thought I about it. it from the perspective of like, it would get people listening to think about the answer to that question themselves, which that's kind of cool. I've spent a lot of time actually thinking about that question in its own application to me. And if I'm actually living it out in the way that I think it means to be a good person. So I think it's a great question. 
Um, where can people find more from you if they want to follow your journey, follow what you're doing, maybe get coached by you? Yeah. Um, you can follow me personally on Instagram. I'm at cat.elizabeth underscore. And then I also, my business can be found at catedwardspt.com as well as on Instagram at wellkept, W-E-L-L-K-E-P-T underscore. Um, and if you're not sure where to find those other links, they're all linked on my my main page, cat.elizabeth. Cool. And we'll put them all on the show notes and everything like that too. I appreciate that. Thank you. Cool. Anything else you want to add? Not really. I just really appreciate getting to sit down with Joel and beyond good people. I'm excited. Cool. Thank you very much for doing this. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Good People. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please rate the show and share it with someone you love, perhaps your grandma. We'll see you next time.